0: Oh man, the guy in that video may have gotten old, but that one never gets old. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, gentlemen! It's so grateful, and today we are celebrating fathers. And this is your formal invitation uh, to join us October twenty-first through the twenty-third for our men's retreat. If you are a father, if you um, are a son, if you simply want to be around other guys and and spur one another on. It's going to be a really good time. We're going down to Palomar again. It is a place where I feel closer to God, um, and I'm really looking forward to getting to retreat with many of you. There's some other things that we want to let you know that are coming up. This, you don't have to wait till October to get to connect with other men of Lighthouse. We're actually going to be having a men's breakfast next Saturday right across the street in our family room. That's at 7 a.m. So gentlemen, I invite you to come. I would encourage you to bring your sons, uh, bring your friends. This is an opportunity for us to get to do life together. Also, for those of you who are raising kids, we want to let you know that we have a fishing trip coming up this Friday, uh, and I would the, the details are in your bulletin. It's going to be at this Friday down at Dana Point. We're going to be leaving at about noon and coming back later. What time is it from? Yeah, I'm making sure from noon to six. So I hope that you will join us For that, and there's other things coming up that are in the bulletin for you. But today is Father's Day, and this is a day that we celebrate the incredible investment that those of you who are fathers by birth, those of you who are fathers by choice, because you have chosen to invest yourself into a life of another, this is a time to celebrate. But I understand that today can also be really a painful day for many of us. Either because your father is no longer with you, your father's not around. Um, maybe you as a father, this is a day where you look at, at, the ways that you have parented, um, and, and you grieve, or perhaps today is a day where you simply don't get to be with your loved one. And so we, I just want to begin today by praying, praying for those of us who are parents, but those, every single one of us has a father. Let me just pray over us and over this time. Father God, you are our Father. And today we lean in. As this day is a mixed bag. Father's Day, Mother's Day, they tend to to stir up lots of conflicting emotions. And so I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be present in this place as we fix our eyes on you, our Father in heaven, and Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide this conversation. Just as you did as Ari was leading us in worship, would you begin to just bring to the surface things that are there that we didn't even realize we carried in with us and begin to help us to lay them down? Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So I was planning on going a completely different direction today, and from time to time, the Holy Spirit kind of steps in and says, hold on, we're going to do something different. And this is one of those times. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that through, as I'm reading uh, the Bible, there will be a something that will just stand out. Other times it's simply through quiet times and prayer. But this time, this time was unique. This time the Holy Spirit spoke to me while I was body surfing. Um, and it actually happened at our last uh, what was it, our our bonfire down at the beach, by the way, we're going to have another one July 1st for those of you who would like to join us down in Huntington. So I was down in Huntington Beach, which is a totally different surf break than I'm used to. I'm used to Newport Beach. I was a lifeguard there for 10 years. Going down to Huntington is different because the waves tend to kind of roll in as opposed to surge and and break your spine. Um, So I was there body surfing with my youngest son, Grayson, who's 10 at this point. And Grayson's still, I mean, it's early in the summer, and Grayson is still getting used to going out into the big surf. Ethan, no fear whatsoever. I have to kind of rein him back in and remind him of the power of the ocean. With Grayson, it's more of a pushing him beyond his comfort zone. So I'm out there body surfing with Grayson, and I'm, I'm holding him, and he's holding my hand, and we're going out further and further into the water beyond the point where he can touch. And so at this point, his only point of contact with the bottom is me. And all of a sudden, a set came in. And it was a pretty sizable set. Certainly for him, it was big. And so he did what he impulsively felt led to do, which is he let go of me, turned around, and started doggy paddling back towards the shore. And I quickly reach out and grab him, turned him to face the wave, duck-dived him under, and we went under the set. And when it was done, I turned him back around and said, Hey, buddy, I totally know that was a big set. It was a little scary, wasn't it? But I, I want you to know, that when a set like that comes through, don't let go of me. Hold more tightly to me because you may not be able to touch the bottom, but I can. I'm holding you up. And you may not feel safe in it, but I know how to bo- to go through surf. You are safer in my arms than you are alone. And even as I was saying those words to my boy, it was like I was... You, parents, you ever have that time where you're talking to your kids and you realize, holy crud. I'm talking to myself right now. It was one of those moments where I realized I, I was basically describing my relationship with God. You are safe in my arms. And I know that for many of us, when the weather is clear and our lives are going well and we have enough money in the bank and our relationships are flourishing, it's easy to hold the hand of God and say, I'm good. But the moment that the sky begins to darken, The moment that the waves begin to rise and we begin to feel out of our element and we can't touch the bottom and we feel insecure, our our knee-jerk response is to let go of the hand of God and to try to turn towards shore where we can somehow get control of our world, get control of our life. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you are safer in my grip than you are alone. And in fact, there was a, a line that began to play through my mind as I was out there in the surf with my son. And it's the title of our, our conversation today. And that is, you are secure in the Father's love. We're reminded of this over and over and over in scripture. I'm just going to show you three passages that remind us of this fact. You don't need to turn here. I'm just going to go ahead and and hit them really quickly. The first one is found in 1 John chapter 3. It says this. It's supposed to be 1 John, not John chapter 3. Um, It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are not a slave. You are not simply a servant You are not rejected. You are a child of God. The very next chapter in 1 John chapter 4, he goes on to say this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God and somehow cleaned ourselves up enough to be worthy of him, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Over and over, in John's first letter, he reminds us that our standing with God is not determined by what we have done, but by what he has done. That while we were still dead set on running our own direction, thinking we knew better than him, Jesus came into the world, took on flesh, and ultimately walked to the cross to take our punishment upon himself, He died so that we could live and be restored back into relationship with the Father, so that our rebellious choices would not determine our eternal outcome. Paul, in in Romans chapter 8, writes this, For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future. No powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, the love that your Father God has for you is a secure love. It's not something that is given and taken away depending on how you do, not something that is wishy washy depending on how he feels. This is just three of hundreds of reminders that we have in scripture that the creator and sustainer of the universe doesn't look at us as peons, as ants that he created and is just now watching us kind of destroy the anthill. When he looks at us, he sees his sons and his daughters, and when he looks at us, he loves us, loves us. But I would imagine that there are some of you in here this morning that when you hear verses like this and others like that, when you hear reminders of how your Father in Heaven feels about you, they ring empty in your ears. It's almost like they hit your heart and just bounce right off. And maybe that's because you heard them a bunch of times. Maybe that's because you just don't believe them. You don't feel deserving of that kind of love. And I will tell you at the outset, you're not. Neither am I. That's why we're here. Jesus doesn't just call the ones who have it all together. He came for the broken, for the hurting, for the sick, for the needy, for you and for me. He doesn't call the perfect he calls the imperfect, and he uses his perfection to bridge the chasm between us and the one who created us to do life with him and be in relationship with him. As I said last week, God didn't fashion you simply to be a tool he can pick up and use any way he wants and then throw you back into the cosmic toolbox of life. He fashioned you in his image to be a co-laborer with him, a partner in the care and the restoration of creation, not a peon that simply does his programming. He loves you more than you could possibly fathom, even if you don't feel deserving of that love. And I would imagine that there are many of you in here who don't feel deserving of that love or who don't feel like you can rest in that love. And so like my son, every time life gets a little wonky, you think you need to let go of it and take care of yourself. You know, I was—I had been a pastor for five years before I realized that I myself wasn't secure in the Father's love. I figured it out one night. Um, it was like the fourth service that I had been helping to lead, and we were doing a time of prayer. And we were inviting people to come forward who needed prayer. And this young man came up to me and he said, Hey, listen, I'm just feeling really, really insecure in in, in God's love for me. And so I began to pray over him. And as I was praying, I really felt prompted to pray that blessing that the Father speaks over Jesus at his baptism. You remember his words that the Father spoke as the Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus to empower him? These are the words that he spoke over his son. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And by the way, those words and that, that anointing of the Holy Spirit started Jesus' public ministry. It was the catalyst that ultimately propelled him into his three year public ministry. And it's a good thing that that's where his ministry started because Jesus, over the course of those three years, would have his identity attacked over and over and over. In fact, the very next thing that happens is that the enemy comes and starts to whisper in his ear, that's not true. If it is true, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. If it's really true that you're the son of God, prove it. Jump off the the, the temple because scripture says that the angels won't let you strike a heel. Over and over and over. Jesus' identity as a son of God was challenged. Jesus' purpose as an ambassador of the kingdom of God and the purpose for which he came to give his life as a redemption for many was challenged. People kept trying to force him into the mold of what they thought he should be. And when he didn't conform, they would turn around and they would walk away. Over and over we see Jesus Being rejected by the very people that the majority of people would say their opinion matters the most. And Jesus didn't seem to care. Even when throngs of people were walking away from him. He doesn't go running after them and go, guys, you misunderstood my metaphor. Let me change it up so you get it. He looks at his disciples, his closest guys, and goes, are you guys going to go too? It was as if he didn't. It's as if his identity was not dependent upon what other people said about him. In truth, what it comes down to is only one person's opinion of who he was mattered. And it was the father's. And right from the outset, he knew who he was. You are my son, whom I love. And he knew what he was about, doing his father's business. He knew his father was pleased in him. And that became the foundation for his entire ministry. So anyway, on that particular night, I feel compelled to pray that same blessing over this young man whom I'd never met up to that point. So I start praying. I, I laid my hands on his shoulders. And I said, I just feel like the f- your father in heaven wants you to hear this. You are my son. And I love you so, so very much. And, and then I stopped. Because I didn't know this kid. And I didn't know what he had done. And I didn't know in that moment how the father felt about him, whether or not the father would say he was pleased in him. And so I kind of lamely wrapped up my prayer and I said goodnight to that guy and, and I went on with the service. But there was, it was like in that moment, something inside of me was exposed and it was really uncomfortable because I realized I'd put my finger onto a perception of God in my own life. I couldn't give this kid the, bless, the full blessing of the Father because I didn't know if I had the full blessing of the Father. I didn't know if God was proud of me. And you can't give to someone else what you don't have yourself to give. So I couldn't give it to him. And this propelled me into several months of just deep, spiritual soul-searching. I, I began to spend a lot of time in prayer trying to understand and unpack what was going on inside of me. I did a lot of journaling. I spent a lot of time with some mentors who just kind of walked with me and asked me helpful, insightful questions that stirred up what was there so I could begin to discern what was going on. And here's what I realized. I couldn't rest in the Father's love because I was really viewing God through the lens Of my earthly father. And let me say here at the outset, I am incredibly blessed to have grown up with my dad. I have an amazing father. I have a huge amount of respect for him. Everybody who knows him has a huge amount of respect for him. He was a leader in our community, is the strongest man that I know. He could open up a jar of jam without banging the lid on the counter, right? Like, he was the guy I went to with with all of my, everything I broke, he's who I went to. But I would never really go to him with my heart, because he was Superman, and I was a mere mortal, and how could Superman identify with the faults of a mere mortal, right? So I didn't tend to share my heart with him as much as I shared, oops, I broke this, can you help me? Um, I wanted so much to just be just like my dad. And I knew, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that my dad loves me. I knew it. He showed me in so many ways. He provided for our family. He sacrificed to provide for us. Not just financially, not just food, and I love food. I ate a lot of it as a kid. But he would provide experiences for us as a family. He would take a month off every year and take us on a road trip as a family. I got to see so much of the country because of that. I knew he loved me so I never questioned that. But here's the thing, I am a lot like my dad. I'm the firstborn, I'm a ton like my dad and we as parents, I'm a parent now myself, we as parents tend to get on our kids, particularly our firstborns, when they struggle in areas that we ourselves struggle in. And I was just like my dad and I struggled in many of the same areas that my dad did. He was impulsive. I am impulsive. I know this is coming as a shock to some of you who know me. (laughs) He would break things. I have been known to break things. He set people on fire unintentionally, completely. I have set people on fire unintentionally. It's a Wayman thing. It's what we do. And as any good father does, when you see an area of growth in your child, you lean in. You don't just ignore it. And he leaned in. And he began, to, he began to discipline me in an attempt to help me avoid the mistakes that he himself had made. He did so as an act of love. But I didn't receive it that way. I received it more as his disappointment. Every time he would have to correct me, every time he would have to raise his voice, every time he would have to, eh. let me give you an example. We were down in Mexico. I was probably, what, 14 at this point? Not the most athletic kid, but I was down on the beach and I had a football in my hand. And as I was walking back up to camp, I decided, well, I'm just gonna throw the football. And so I threw it and it was the most beautiful, perfect spiral I have ever thrown in my life. I mean, that thing was a thing of beauty as it kind of reached its apex. I'm just enjoying it until all of a sudden it starts falling back towards earth into a camp with nobody looking at it, nobody realizing it's coming. And that's when I started going, oh, shoot. And it happened to land right in the middle of the table where my father was in the process of making dinner for us. Baptized my father in baked beans. (laughs) Ethan, your dad has made a mistake or two. I hear, Eric! And I start the long walk of shame up up to camp, right? And I will never forget my father. She's shaking his head going, I'll be driving you to college. In other words, implying you will never be disciplined enough to be entrusted with a car. That stuck with me. I know, I know, I I will admit, if that had happened to me, I probably wouldn't have even responded nearly as restrained as my dad did. He was gracious to me in my mistakes, time and time again. But that stuck with me. That that said to me, is my dad doesn't trust me, my dad is not proud of me. And guess what that did for me as I began to grow up? And examples like that began to pile up. Examples that I caused because I was impulsive. And he had to parent me. I began to try to prove to my dad that I was worthy of his pride. That he could be proud of me. that, That I was somebody who was trustworthy. And so I began to perform for his approval. I tried to do my best at school, even though I was best friends with the valedictorian. I mean, how are you going to compete with that, right? I started trying to really excel in sports, water polo, swimming, because, you know, if I scored a lot of points, he'd be proud of me. I began to read thousand-page biographies of dead people because he read them. They were boring but at least I could have something that he was interested in that we could talk about. In these and so many other ways, I sought to earn my dad's approval. I knew my dad loved me, but I wasn't sure if he was proud of me, and so I sought to earn his approval. And somewhere along the way, I began to look at God the Father and approach God the Father the same way I was approaching my earthly father. I began to try to make him proud, not because I wanted to, but because I felt I needed to. I needed him to be proud of me, and how am I going to do that? Well, I didn't go to church because I wanted to go to church. I went to church because I had to go to church, because it was expected of me. I, I, I gave, I tithed from my meager income, even early on, not because I wanted to as a, de- as a declaration of my trust in him, but because it was expected of me. I served in tons of different capacities, not because I just loved pouring into other people's life, but because I was trying to get his attention and say, look, I'm good enough. Do you accept me? So much of my adolescent life, I sought to earn my dad's approval and my heavenly father's approval. Can you identify with what I'm saying? Any of you kind of like, is this resonating for you that been, you look at perhaps your relationship with your earthly father and you see the ways that it percolates into your relationship with your heavenly father? Because in so many ways, like if you had a father that was kind of angry, and, and, and disappointed in you, that showed you physically that he was disappointed, chances are when you picture God in your head, you see him with the same kind of posture and the same kind of face or facial expression that your earthly father would have. Kind of arms crossed, disappointed look on your face because you messed up again. Or, or if your father was a harsh disciplinarian, chances are when you... Th- come across like something happens in your life. Your first impulse, like something bad happens. You get a flat tire or you, you know, you, you get a letter from the IRS or something. I don't know. You, your pipes spring a leak. Your first impulse is to go, oh, this is probably God punishing me for something else. Or if your earthly father was disengaged, disinterested, perhaps he was pouring himself out in work. It's expensive to live in this area. Maybe he was absentee because he was working all the time or maybe it's because your parents were divorced and you weren't able to be with him very much or maybe he was just gone because he passed away early on. Chances are when you think of the Father you, tend to, you might feel like he is distant and disinterested and checked out. It makes sense that our perception of our Heavenly Father would be shaped in part by the example of our earthly father, because we call both of them father. And since we can't see him, sometimes it's just easier to perceive him through the filter of the one that we could see, the father that was near or the father that was absent, but at least we knew. And eventually, you perhaps even hear the voice of the father through your own father's voice. There's a a buddy of mine who had a pretty verbally abusive dad. He would say things like he was stupid or an idiot and like regularly was constantly putting him down. So I was asking my friend, like we were having a conversation where he confided in me that he was struggling with an area of sin that he just kept finding himself going back to again and again and again. And in the midst of that vulnerable space, I asked him, what do you think your father in heaven would want to say to you right now? And almost without thinking, he said, I think he would probably say, stop it, don't be an idiot, just stop doing that. And I was surprised by the tone of voice that my friend used. And I couldn't help but notice it didn't sound at all like our heavenly father's voice. It sounded a whole heck of a lot like his earthly father's voice. And I would suspect that there are some of you in here today who have had things spoken into you from your fathers that tore you down, that hurt, that like a thorn in the flesh, they may not have even intended it as mean-spirited, I'll be driving you to college, but like a thorn that gets stuck under your skin, it's stuck in your heart. And then you begin to stamp God's name over that mental recording as if he is the one that spoke it over you and you begin to view God the way that you view your earthly father and you begin to approach your heavenly father the way you do your earthly father to the detriment of your relationship with your heavenly father because in moments like that when you didn't feel secure in the love of your earthly father chances are you don't feel secure in the love of your Heavenly Father, and you may begin to interact with your Heavenly Father the way you interacted with your Earthly Father. If you were frustrated and resentful of your dad because you felt like he unfairly rode you, chances are you're going to start getting resentful and frustrated with your Heavenly Father, feeling like he's just always looking over your shoulder, waiting to catch you in something. if you felt like you, you needed to perform to earn your dad's approval, chances are you're probably going to feel like you need to perform to earn your heavenly father's approval. You know, I didn't... I identified this, my own perception of my heavenly father through the filter of my earthly father in my 20s, but it wasn't until I became a father myself. It wasn't until the day that Ethan was born 13 years ago that I fully, truly began to understand the way that our Heavenly Father thinks about me. Because the day that I held my son in my hands for the first time, despite the fact that he was all wrinkly and alien-looking because when babies are born, only parents think they're beautiful. Everybody else thinks that they look freakish, right? But even then, in that moment... That child had my heart completely. I had never loved anything in this world the way that I loved you, Ethan, the day you were born. You couldn't do, you hadn't done anything to earn that love. All you could do at that moment was eat, sleep, and poop. And I loved you completely. You're older now, you're 13. And you're a lot like your dad. The good, the bad, and the downright ugly. And I know that I ride you pretty hard. My my guess is some of the same unlearning I've had to do about my heavenly father and the disengaging of my heavenly father from my relationship with my dad, you're probably going to need to do as well. Because I know that I have not represented the father's heart as well as I would have liked to. And I've said some hurtful things to you. I know that at times I can I can be pretty um, hard on you. You're my firstborn.
1: Huh.
0: I love you so dang much, and I gotta tell you, dude. Just being with you brings me great joy, and great pleasure. I am proud of you simply because you are my son. It's not something you earned. It's not something that you've done to make me proud of you and to love you. You are. You are my son, and I love you, and just being with you brings me great pleasure. Watching you grow into the man that God created you to be, uniquely, different from me, even though you reflect parts of me and parts of your mom, and parts that are totally yourself and are wonderful. It just brings me joy watching you grow into a man. But I know that I haven't perfectly represented God's heart to you, and I'm sorry for that. If I, a very fallible, very imperfect man, can love my son unconditionally because he didn't earn it, he couldn't earn it, and nothing he does can make me love him any more than I already love him, and nothing he does can make me love him any less, although yes, I will discipline you, and I do discipline you, I'd be a terrible father not to. But if I can love my son that much, that that has helped me begin to rest in the way that my heavenly father looks at me. Because again, we haven't done anything, anything to earn his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What had we done at that point? Nothing. We were living in complete and open rebellion, thinking we knew better than him. And yet he still moved towards us to restore the broken relationship, to bring shalom, peace, wholeness back into our relationship with the one who created us, not simply to be robots that do his bidding, but to be his co-laborers and partners in the care and the restoration of his creation. If you ever question whether you are loved, Just look to the cross. There is no more tangible reminder of how much God loves us. He loves you this much, right? You don't have to take my word for it. Jesus told a story that many of you are probably very familiar with to illustrate the heart of the father towards his prodigal children. He told a story about a young man. He was not even the firstborn. He was the secondborn. Ethan's like, oh yeah, secondborns. They always make mistakes. Firstborn doesn't, so great, doesn't do so great in the story either, but that's not the focus. This boy comes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, he's saying, I don't want to wait till you croak. I want what's coming to me now. And this father, in that honor-shame kind of culture could have disowned his son in a heartbeat, but he chooses not to. And I want to remind you at the outset that the father in in the parable that Jesus is telling represents our heavenly father. So every time you think of this father, every time you hear what this father does, think this is how your heavenly father responds to us prodigals. Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff now. And this father, rather than disowning his boy, says, okay, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. So he liquidates half of his estate and he gives it to the boy. And very shortly, that kid decides he's going to move out. And he's going to go somewhere more fun. Maybe, it, let's, let's think Vegas. He decides he's going to go out to Party City. And he's going to live it up. And he does. Parties every night. High roller tables during the day barely cognizant of life because he's going through it in a haze of food and and whatever else. And he's got a bunch of friends around him because whenever you got money, people simply show up. And so he's got a bunch of fair-weather friends that are there when the money is flowing, but the moment it dries up, the moment it runs out, so do they. And before too long, this boy finds himself with his pockets empty, standing knee-deep, in mud and poo, in a pigsty, tending to pigs, which for any Jewish lad would be an incredibly embarrassing thing because pigs are filthy animals. Maybe that's a different movie. Never mind. Um, so, So he finds himself in the pigsty, tending to the pigs, and in fact, he's so hungry, this guy who's been used to lobster and steak wants to eat the pig slop. And as he's covered in the muck of his mistakes stewing in his shame. He starts to think about what life was like back home, back with his dad. And he thinks, man, I really blew it. I thought I knew better, but I didn't. And even the servants in my father's household live better than I'm living now. I wonder if he would take me back. Not as his kid. I know I've blown it too much. There's no way he would ever accept me that, but maybe I could go back and be a servant in his household. And with that thought in mind, he scrapes off as much of the muck as he can and he begins a long, painful journey home. J- Jesus' story flips at this point. And he begins to tell it from the perspective of the Father. And remember, this Father represents your heavenly Father. And this Father is not just sitting back on the porch having a Coke, reading a book, chilling out. He is standing on the porch, scanning the horizon, hoping beyond hope that his boy will come home. And when he spots him, when he sees a lonely figure come up over the horizon and begin to journey, he goes, is it, could it be? Is it him? And when he realizes who it is. Now, I don't know how your father might respond. Maybe your dad would stand there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, disappointed, scowl on his face, waiting for you to make the walk of shame home so that he could give you a double-barreled shotgun of his displeasure. Maybe that's how you would respond if your child did this. But remember, our Heavenly Father is not like us. The way he responds is when he sees his boy and he realizes who it is. He hitches up his robes in a most undignified manner and he sprints down the road to his boy. And when he gets there, he doesn't stand far off and let his boy make the I messed up speech. He throws his arm around his stinky, smelly son. And he begins to kiss him on his, on his mud-encrusted cheeks. And, then, and he steps back to look at his boy in his eyes. And his son starts in on the speech that I'm sure he'd been rehearsing the whole way home. Dad, I screwed up. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But he stops him and he says, stop. Hey, servants, come here. Bring him a robe. You really need it. And bring him his signet ring indicating that he's part of this family. And bring him a new pair of shoes. I don't even know what happened to the ones you had. But this boy that was lost is home. He's home. Let's have a party. That is how your heavenly father feels about you. Even when you have wandered off and squandered the blessing after blessing after blessing he has bestowed in your life. Even when you've taken the good things and you've used them for your own personal gain, he never stops loving you. Even when you screw up, he doesn't stop loving you. And for those of you who have been holding your heavenly Father at arm's length because you don't feel deserving, welcome to the club. We're not here because we have it all together. We are here because we're the first to admit, I'm a sinner desperately in need of grace. And we find grace in the arms of our Father through the love and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are one who finds yourself here today, maybe because you were dragged here because your dad just wanted you to be with you, you find yourself here today because you were walking along and you heard beautiful music and you wanted to come in and see what was going on. You're hearing this. Or maybe you're at home and you're watching this. And you have been holding your Father God at arm's length because you don't feel deserving. Just come home. Oh, but I, I, (laughs) you have no idea, Eric, what I've done. doesn't matter. He does and he still loves you. He loves you this much. Just come home. And let Him clean you up. And it's as easy as Jesus purchased the greatest gift in history, a gift of grace, and He makes it available to you and to me. And that gift of grace in- invites prodigals to come home and be reconciled, restored back into relationship with our Heavenly Father, to join Him in co laboring in the care and cultivation of His good creation. And he's saying to you today, just come home. And you don't have to do anything magical to do that. You don't have to jump through any hoops to take hold of that. How do you you accept a gift? You reach out your hands and you take it and you say thank you. And that's pretty much, when we talk about praying a prayer, that's all we're saying. You don't have to do something. You don't have to prove yourself. I spent way too much of my life trying to prove to my dad and prove to my heavenly dad. That I was worthy of their love and acceptance. They already love you. He already has accepted you. He's shown you in the most awful, beautiful way possible. Just come home. And I'm going to model it for you. There's nothing magical about this. Every time I pray a prayer, it's different. So please don't hold me to these words. But it looks as simple as saying, Jesus... Thank you for giving your life for me. Father, thank you for loving me. I don't feel deserving of it, but I'm going to trust and choose to trust that you love me anyway. Jesus, I choose to follow you as my Lord. I accept the gift of grace that you purchased for me. Would you come into my life and begin to clean me up so that I can better reflect the heart of my Father in this hurting world. Jesus, in your name, amen. If you prayed that, whether it's now or even later on, just know that there is a party in heaven for you. Your Father in heaven is rejoicing. But now I want to speak to those of you in here who have been walking with God for quite a while. You may have prayed that prayer decades ago. I want to remind you that the way that your Father looks at you and feels about you is not determined by what you do. It's not like there's a barometer of love that goes up and down based upon your good or bad behavior. He loves you, period. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more than he already loves you. There's nothing you could do to make him love you less than he already loves you. I think far too often we want to be something. I want to be loved. I want to be enough. I want to be accepted by my Father, whether it's my earthly Father or my heavenly Father. So I've got to do this because I don't feel acceptable. I've got to do these things in order to be loved. And that is completely inverting the relationship. It actually starts from a posture of, I am loved. I am secure in the Father's love. And out of that security, we begin to do things as an act of worship, as a response to it. The songs that we're going to sing in just a moment... And Ari, why don't you come on back up? The songs we're going to sing in just a moment are a response to what is already true of us, not vocalized pleading that he will feel that way about us. You are already free from the fear, and you are already children of God, so we sing as a response to that. You are already loved, so you love pretty unlovable people. You are already forgiven, so you forgive people who have hurt you. Every good and perfect gift has already come to you from the Father on high. So your response of giving is an act of worship. Now, we're going to go into a time of worship response, but I would imagine that there are some of you in here today that, again, this can be a really hard day. Maybe you feel distant from your earthly dad. Maybe what I have shared has stirred up some areas of grief in your heart. And you may just want to sit here and let the words that is about to, to sing wash over you and begin to wash away those, those thorns, those words that have been spoken that were hurtful into your life. Maybe it's just a time of your perception of God being cleansed and wiped clean. Or maybe, since we can't see our heavenly father and our earthly fathers tend to stand in the gap for us, maybe what you really need this morning is a dad hug. And so there's some of the, f- some of the fathers and grandfathers that I've already spoken to. Would you guys come on forward? And there's going to be some in the back. During this time of response, maybe you just need a hug from a dad. Because your dad's not around. If your dad's here, get a hug from him. If your kids are here, please don't let a moment go by today without you speaking the blessing over them that you already carry in your heart. But you, there, there's some dads that are just going to be spread around the room and if during this time you just need a dad hug, they're available. Father God, I am so grateful that we can call you Father. I am so grateful for the ways you love us unconditionally. I am so grateful that because of your love, unearned love, we no longer need to be slaves to fear. May you help us to rest in our identity as sons and daughters of God whom you love. And just being with us and watching us grow into the men and women that you've created us to be brings you great pleasure. And so we, your sons and daughters, now respond out of that. Jesus in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship together. You are- of things, Um, I'm reminded today the power of our words. The tongue has the power of life and death in it, and particularly when you are a parent, particularly you fathers, and I'm talking to myself right now, we have the power to build our children up or utterly destroy them. And as I've been sharing this morning a little bit biographically of the ways that my own relationship with my dad has for a time shaped my own perception of myself, perhaps you recognize ways in which you have spoken words into your children's lives. You have sown weeds or thorns as opposed to blessings. And I know we can't take our words back, but you know what we can do? we can be intentional about sowing blessing into their life. Guess what? I drove myself to college. Sometimes as parents, we say things we don't mean in the, in the heat of anger, and there is grace. Thank God our children are resilient. Thank God we were resilient. But fathers, this morning, may this be a gentle, but not so subtle reminder to bless your children. Don't think that just because you think I love you, they know you love them. Whether they're sitting next to you or they are hundreds of miles or thousands of miles away. Whether you've spoken to them every day for the last two years or you haven't spoken to them in two years. Do not... Let the sun go down on today without picking up your phone and making a phone call and just speaking words of life into your children's heart or into your spouse's heart. Just hearing, I'm so grateful you're my child and I love you. I'm not, I know I'm not a perfect parent, but I'm really grateful you're my child. Thank you for your grace. Just watching you grow up brings me great pleasure. You have no idea how life-giving that can be unless you are the recipient of it. And just to model this, I'm going to speak a blessing over us as a church family that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But before I do that, if you made a decision, a profession of faith today, or you are kind of on this journey of following Jesus and you're not really walking with anybody else who is, please let us know. There's connection cards in the seat back in front of you. Just let us know because we would love to come alongside of you and walk with you and make sure that you have community around you. We're not called to follow Jesus alone. If you have prayer requests, maybe you're identifying some deep wounding that you just need prayer for. There's a, a relationship in your life that is hurting right now. You need prayer, let us know so we can pray. We pray throughout the week for these prayer requests that we get. You can just drop them in the white boxes in the back as you're heading out, or you can email them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We will pray for them this week. But now I want to read this blessing over you and over me, over your families. So if you would, you don't have to. If you want to stand, you can. And if you want, sometimes I find that our hearts follow the posture of our body. So if you even want to just take your hands and cup them like this, like you're receiving a blessing, you can. Or you can just sit there. It's totally fine. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, for this reason right here, the cross and what Jesus did on it and what it means for us. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches you might be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love might have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp just how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May you, my brothers and my sisters in Jesus Christ, Be rooted and established in the love that the Father has for you so that you don't need to look to anybody else to tell you you're okay. So that you don't need to look to your spouse. So that you don't need to look to a dating relationship. So that you don't need to look to your job. So that you don't need to look to your kids to vicariously find your identity through them. Boy, what a curse that would be upon them. May you be rooted and established in the love that your Father has for you so that when the storms of life come, they don't cause you to topple. May you be so anchored into the love that your Father has for you that when the waves come, you're not tempted to let go and try to swim on your own. You are loved. Now Lighthouse Community Church, May you go and live out of that love and be a conduit of that love into your spheres of influence. You are loved. Now go be the church. Have a wonderful week.